1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses
1: are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, who are you? I'm you. From the future. What do you want? I want to tell you about Dave. Dave has your future money. Spend it on whatever you need. With extra cash from Dave, you can get up to 500 bucks instantly with no interest and no credit check. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly for terms and conditions. Go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC.
0: It's the bluest room.
1: It's the weekly show here on the Blue Room a little bit later in the week, the Premier League and those Monday matches messing with our schedule, but we are here to have a chat about Everton and various other things. I' say various other things because I've got two guests on today who I think it'd be fair to say Everton may not be the focus of their attention when it comes to this sport and weekend uh, Dave Downey, who I'm sure will be very much invested in the masters and the grand national uh, Dave, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good, good, great start of to the tournament with Justin Rose. But
2: uh, the the thing about the Masters, is I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of any one player running away with it. I want to see a bit of drama on a Sunday night. Um, I think if he does anything like he did on Thursday night, I think um, it could be over quite soon. I don't think he will, because um, the conditions are due to get a lot worse in Augusta. But yeah, I mean, he just set the set the entire field alight. Didn't he? There were so many other players who struggled big names the the, the Shambo, Tommy Fleet will buffer the year, the hole in one that he got on the 16th. All of the sort of favourites he'd be putting a few quid on have sort of wilted away really quickly. And it's just the roast of the alone with the four shot lead. That doesn't happen often there. So probably the interesting thing will be I mean it, it it could I don't think he'll run away with it. I think there'll be a few twists and turns yeah. but um if he if he maintains a four shot lead
1: after today it could get quite boring over the weekend, a bit like Dustin Johnson last year who ran away with it in the end, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I felt like Tommy Fleetwood's round was quite indicative of Everton's season. One great moment, <laughs> but the rest of it was a little bit substandard by, by, his, yeah. own, by his own standard as well. So. He got himself in the foot a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Fingers crossed he can get back to it. And Aleph Healy as well also joins us. Um, back in Seville, you were saying earlier this week to me, mate. And of course, it's Clasco weekend in Spain as well. Um, what what What's it like... In a city like Seville, when the Clasico is on, does, does it everywhere sort of come to a standstill as it would in Madrid and Barcelona?
0: Well, no, I think, to be fair, like Seville and Bilbao are kind of one of the only cities in Spain that are actually not Barca or Madrid. It's actually very unusual to see if you're playing five side or something a Barca or Madrid shirt. It's very much you're either Sevilla or Betis. That's kind of the way it is. Like, it's kind of very. It's a rare case in, in Spain, really, in, in that sense. Like, but um, but of course, it's still a big deal. And it's been a big week football-wise throughout the, the country in Spain because it was Champions League during the week, big result for Madrid against Liverpool. And then also you had Chelsea playing Porto in Seville and sanchez Bijuan on Wednesday night. Uh, Atletico coming to Seville on Sunday, the Real Betis, really big game in title race, just coming after the Clasico. Um, But, yeah, obviously the Clasico is the biggest game of the week. It's it's a massive one because, you know, given Atletico's form and given how kind of imperious and how kind of almost like inexorable the two big clubs look, um, you have to really say that this could be a playoff for the title because of the way the momentum is going, you know. So it's an absolutely massive game and it's very, very difficult to call. Both teams are in a really, really good run. And then, of course, also there was the racism row that took place in nearby kiddies during the week. So it's been a crazy week for Spanish football, to be fair.
1: Yeah, I did want to get into speaking about that quickly before, obviously, we'll speak about Ronald Koeman and Barcelona, how they're getting on as well. But it's been a a fascinating and quite unsavoury situation that's developed in La Liga this week. So I'm sure people have seen it. Um, Obviously, Juan Cala was accused by Valencia defender Mukta Diakabi last weekend of uh, racial abuse. It led to Valencia walking off the pitch and then Valencia came back on and then it was sort of, bit of confusion in regards to whether Valencia were told to come back on the pitch because they would lose the points if they didn't, whether Diakabi said, go back on the pitch and play for me. There's, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misinformation around it at the time. As the week's gone on, it's sort of become a little bit clearer, this picture. But but today, it was confirmed that the Liga has found no evidence that Juan racially abused Mukhtar Diakabi after investigating the events that led to that walk-off. Uh, obviously, this is, this is a, an incident, Alan, that sort of resonated around European football, you know, the sight of Diacabi being fuming on the pitch and walking off and, and subsequently what happened afterwards with, with Valencia coming back on. I think overall, there's been an, a lot of criticism of the Liga for, for the way in which the, they've handled it. Um, what have you made of the developments around this incident this week in Spain?
0: Well, it's crazy, really. I mean, like the incident itself happened in 36 minute in a pretty non-eventful game. I mean, like both teams are relatively safe mid-table. is could be sucked into a relegation battle, but it's looking quite unlikely. So it wasn't like it was a kind of an important game, really, you know. But yeah, in the 36th minute, I think it was, it was a 25-minute pause because basically there was like an altercation between Kala and Diakabe. Uh, Diacabe was visibly enraged. He obviously heard something went straight to the referee and then basically led by Gabriel Paulista, former Arsenal player, and they went off the pitch for the 25 minutes, came back out without Diakabe, but with Kala. So Kala was still playing until halftime. And Diakabe was basically sat in the stands by himself, looking quite forlorn. It was a really sad sight. It was actually the front cover of Marca the following day, um, kind of a cover saying, you're not alone, basically. Um, And yeah, the reporting of it has been very, very difficult to kind of, break down because initially what they were saying was that the Acabé told his players to go out and finish the match to you know to do the shield pearl base is what they were saying. And then after it came out that actually Valencia were told, and we don't know who they were told by, that if they didn't compete in the game, they'd lose the three points basically. So they went out and played um, and the acabe wasn't in the right frame of mind to play, so he stayed in dressing room. And then Kidiz won the game two one. Um, which is kind of incidental in the end, like and Kala came off at halftime to kind of spare him the kind of, you know, scrutiny and all that. Uh, and then after the game, it was a bit complicated because basically there was kind of talk from Javier Tebas, who is the president of La Liga, that um, they were going to clean the audio around the game and employ lip readers to decipher what exactly was said. But there was no official statement. This was a statement he made to various papers and news media. But There was no actual La Liga statements. While Kivis put out a statement basically saying that, you know, they want the investigation to be carried out fully. And then whoever is guilty, whether it's Kala of what he said or Diacabe of lying, basically, they should be prosecuted accordingly. Valencia went on the offensive completely saying that, you know, we're completely with... Uh, the Acabe Cala is lying straightforwardly. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a very polemic thing. And then, basically, last night, this morning, it broke that the lip readers and the sound engineers employed uh, uncovered that there was no incidents when Kala turned that he called him negra de mierda, or like a black shit, basically. Um, they were kind of so, but then at the same time, they were saying that somebody did say it. And it was a South American accent. So it wasn't Cala, but somebody did say it. But at the same time, there seems to be no movement to find out who did say it. So it's a really kind of a messy situation. It wasn't dealt with well by La Liga. And I I take with a pinch of salt, to be honest, what they said, because I think their priority in this situation was to avoid tarring the league and Spanish football with the racism brush and kind of stooping under the carpet, basically. Um, They weren't really serious, in my opinion, about actually confronting an ugly truth which is that you know racism exists in spanish football and spanish society um and instead they kind of played it safe basically uh so i mean obviously it's a difficult situation because you know maybe Cala didn't say what he, he was said to have said maybe dia did mishear him maybe somebody else said it so you don't want to tire the man with the the brush of being a racist you know with no evidence but it's one of those things where it's very difficult to prove short of having literal evidence, you know, what somebody said in the heat of the moment or not. So yeah, it's the horrible situation for every party involved, to be honest, it's really kind of become a big thing, uh, become quite acrimonious, neither no side is seeding ground. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll find a resolution in the future, but I to be optimistic of it, to be honest.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a horrible situation, isn't it, Dave? And, you know, like, like Alan really well put, put it really well that it's, it's difficult to know what, what steps to, to take in this because you could say, you know, mic the players up and all that kind of thing. That's the only way you, you really know what what people are saying. But in the same breath, that doesn't get to the root of the problem, does it? If someone is being, you know, you don't want someone to just not be racist because they've got a, a microphone on them. You know, it, it shouldn't be the case anyway. And it's um, unfortunately, we've, we've seen, obviously, the incident with Kamara uh, playing for Rangers in the Europa League as well. We've seen players come off social media, Recently, we've seen Swansea City take the stand this week. that They've said they're had enough. They're having a week without it. Um, unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to be going away, this, does it? You're on mute, Dave. It just seems to be a fresh incident
2: every single week and it's becoming quite tiresome, but at the same time, it can't be ignored because to ignore it means that I think we'd see a lot more of it because people think they get away with it. Um, I think Al's absolutely right there in terms of P- different parties in this have a different agenda, so La Liga don't want to be seen to be a- an institution that either condones racial abuse, or I think more pertinently for them, they would say they don't want to be associated with it, even being an issue in the league and making it a, a big story and one that they have to sort of strenuously deny and things like that. I, I think I, I think. I'm pleased to say, I, in my opinion, I think it's it's being better handled over here, and um, by way of clubs are sort of trying to force their way uh, into the mindset of social media companies because a lot of it stems from that over here, doesn't it? We seem to see, you know, racial abuse aimed at, at footballers all the time. Now, I mean, this week there was an incident, wasn't there, with uh, Trent Alexander Arnold and uh, Nabi Keita mm. in the build-up to the Real Madrid game. Liverpool, the statement they put out was absolutely spot on, saying that nothing will be enough until it stops. And that's absolutely right. I think, and, and, and I'll be able to inform us a lot better on this, Matt, the cultural differences in Spain, uh, and by what he was talking about in terms of South American players and things like that, this the sort of thing that I, and I'm very inexperienced in terms of talking about this, but just to refer it to what happens with Patrice Everett, and Luis Suarez that time at Anfield, we 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 get into a really difficult grey area where it's people's words against other people's words, and when 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 situations come like that, I mean we've done it before, Matt. Me and you've been arguing in a pub one time, haven't we? And it's it's our you know it's your word against mine and, and things like that. When when issues arise like that, they're so difficult to sort out because, like Al says. You don't want to accuse anybody of, of being racist if indeed it wasn't them, but at the same time, why would the player immediately react the way in which he did, i.e., going Kamara um, and, and and everything that went on in that game? It's just so sad that we're in what 2021 and we're talking about grown men here who can't seem to keep it inside the boundaries of decency. Look, we've all played football, you know, we've all had a game of a side. It gets heated. But it never gets to the extent where you actually want to verbally insult somebody based on their um, background, their creed, their race, anything like that, their sexuality. I, I, I just can't understand why this is something that seems to be escalating something rather than something that is ceasing to exist. This seems to happen. It, it, we seem to have, I think, in football right now, a really dangerous culture of this being a common place for us and, and, and a discussion point for us to have every single time on social. I mean, we all know what goes on there. Um, media, social media companies, absolutely have to take more responsibility and accountability with stuff like this. But in real life, it's in my opinion, I think it feels a hell of a lot worse. Um, you're actually saying it to somebody's face. Uh, you, you openly have a, a prejudice against somebody based on the color of the skin or whatnot. It's pretty embarrassing, isn't it? The, the, as a sport, football and people more so aren't above that. And it's really, really sad, but Alan's spot on there. I don't know where you you, you sort of start with dissecting it and, and sort of finding some people who take accountability for it. We're never going to see anybody openly admit that they've said stuff, are we? So I guess it's it's just a question of who you
1: believe, really. And I suppose that, anyone who's... who's- Willing to racially abuse someone would equally be admit, willing to lie about doing it as well yeah. to, to protect themselves. But that that's
2: that's where the difficulty comes, isn't it? Because if it if it wasn't him, he's gonna say it wasn't him, obviously. Um, but if it was him, equally, he's not gonna say it was him. So that that is where you you might be right, Matt. Mike players up might be the might be the only solution. Can we well, get the way technology is these days, microphones that can sort of hear all of these things going on. Obviously there's not a crowd in there at the moment. So I presume it'd be a lot easier right now before fans return for us to get that sort of evidence that we needed. Um, But what a really, really sad state of affairs that we're having to talk about this more and more um, when, when you would think that given the way things are, how difficult pandemic life is across the globe, how on earth that this is something that figures in people's heads that they, that they willingly want to say these things to people? Also, it, it it it's damaging the integrity of our sport that we all love, we all make a living from. Um, it makes you feel quite, I don't know, despairingly at it. I look at it with with a sense of despair, thinking, Do I really want to be around this? Do I really want to be covering this all the time? But equally, at the same time, you have to because to not talk about it is so negligible and I suppose self-defeatist in what we're trying to do in, 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 in getting rid of it completely, then it's, it's, it's such a difficult subject um, for us to solve. And it absolutely needs to be solved. There needs to be an answer that we can't all sit here saying, you know, Oh, well, that's happened again, hasn't it? And the danger I think we have is the more and more common it becomes, the less people talk about it, the less the awareness is because, It'll, I really fear that it could become something that we're like, oh, that's happened again. You know, the, the podcast I run at the BBC, the, the Football League podcast, we seem to be talking about it every week as it happens so regularly in the Football League on social media. Um, and you, you you struggle for answers. If the people who don't run these things, and I, I'd probably include La Liga and the other football and institutions here, don't take a proper stand, then You know, I applaud what's happening with Swansea. I absolutely applaud what they're doing. Whether it'll have an effect, I'm not sure, but at least it's something. And I think we need, collectively, everybody needs, whether it's the Premier League, we have some sort of summit about this, Um, whether it's a UEFA issue, things like that. We've seen how toothless they've been in the past with with issues of racism in football. Um, It has to come to a head. There has to be systematic change to ensure that when this happens, because I don't think sadly you can eradicate it. I think you have to manage it and ensure that the correct procedure and punishments are in place to, to ensure that, that that's the best way you sort of, I don't know, you know, you, you, you draw the sort of the, the, the sourness and bitterness out of all of this hatred to the fore and, and you try and get rid of it that way. Um, because it, it it's quite clearly what we have in place right now is just ineffective.
0: Yeah, I think Dave is spot on. Like, I think it's impossible to actually eradicate it from society completely because, like, in, in this world, especially with the internet, no matter what you want, you can find it, you know? Like, if you're, if you're you know, I don't know, if you're into, like blowing up balloons you can find a society of people who love blowing up balloons and you could be like yeah. you know clandestinely blowing Something up balloons everyone together. That? Yeah. <laughs> you could yeah. get off on that like genuinely that's the way it is today so i think like the only thing you can do is create an environment where it's unacceptable to behave that way in public do you know what i'm saying like so, so for instance at a football match say if you're at goodison 1975 um and a black player you know gives it to the crowd or something like that and the opposition are and everything black player misplaces a pass you know there's a good chance there would have been some questionable shouts coming from the terraces you know what i'm saying Absolutely. 1995 probably a little less but there still would be the same kind of shouts coming 2005 probably the same again 2015 2025 like ideally you get to a place where if somebody did say that it would be unacceptable you know, yeah. you get their number, they get turfed at the stadium, the people around them kind of going, you know, what do you want about here, boy? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the only thing you can do because racists will always be racists and mm-hmm. there always will be racists. So the only thing you can do is get to a point where they don't feel comfortable or secure in expressing themselves in that way. Like, you know, allegedly this kid is player did. Uh, on sunday afternoon and that's all you can do really because i think you know if a person harbors those views they always will and even if you kind of push that down it will only be kind of you know put somewhere else inside them and it will be allowed to fester and all that kind of thing that's just the nature of humanity do you know what i'm saying like but i think that all we can do is have our as dave was saying our organizations in step where they create the conditions where it's not acceptable and where it can be punished you know so how that's done i don't know Absolutely. but i think it has to be done
1: yeah well, do you know sorry they
0: sorry i was just going to say a
2: lot of people talk about it being obviously a societal issue not a football issue i i'm not totally comfortable with that because i think for many people that would make it go away if you get what i mean if we if we've all sat there and said oh you know what It's not really a football thing, it's a society thing. And whilst that is probably true, whilst that's at the root of the problem, I I feel as if football would feel many people within football, such as institutions like La Liga, as Alan's explained, in terms of wanting to sort of keep that issue at arm's length and not have it tarnish what they would see as something that is quite pure and perfect in terms of their structure and the uh, the sort of financial connotations of, of that being the case in Spain. I feel as if it's sort of a little bit of a get out clause if we simply say we need to start educating kids in school. Whilst those things absolutely have to happen, I still think football equally has to take its its own responsibility as well. Because it's not enough, it's not good enough for us to sit here and say, Oh, well, that individual's racist because the society that they've been brought up in, this was commonplace, it was a normal type of thing to do, to have prejudice against a certain race, colour, creed, whatever is normal in that society, I mean, it's a massive sort of get out and thinking, you know, oh, well, it's not really our problem then, is it? It's something that's happened inside a certain sector of society or a community where they've traditionally had these things. I mean, Alan, Alan then explains perfectly about historically, if you think about 70s, 80s, 90s, the way in which um, racism has been perceived and the way people have responded to it. A lot of people of a certain age, I'm pretty sure, in, in our country, would say, "Well, that's just the way it was," and it's simply not enough to have that as an excuse, in my opinion. Not in a multicultural society that we all live in and should pretty much, well, particularly right now in the circumstances, be looking after each other. To try and divide people uh, is is sort of so counterproductive, yep. and and that's what's such a difficult thing for me to, as an observer, to witness. But when 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 you see footballers say it's a society problem. Okay, fine. What are you doing about it then? Because football is still a part of society. Passing the book is probably the worst thing people could do in this situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember, if you remember the the Everett incident, a lot of people's defence of Luis Suarez was that it was normal for him to say that in the culture in which he's from, mm-hmm. that the term he used was more acceptable. In in in
1: Uruguay, then it well, the will term be... of endearments, wasn't it? it? Was the phrase yeah, people yeah, used?
2: Yeah, yeah, right. And but surely, like you know, Alan, you go and live in Spain, wherever wherever anybody chooses to go and live in life, you are then obliged to adhere to their customs and their way of life. I, I, I get that, and whilst there's obviously a, a such a, a big space and a welcoming space, certainly in Liverpool as a city for people from around the globe. Whilst you accept their customs, there's still a bit of give and take. That I can't go to. If you're Luis Suarez, he needs to be told you can't go to England and use that term as a term of endearment when there it means something completely different. And and that's where I think that there's some. It's so easy for a lot of people, organisations to effectively say, "Well, that's normal where where I'm from, so I'm just going to carry on behaving that way." There needs to be a, a common and a mutual appreciation. That things you say in your own in your own backyard simply aren't acceptable in somebody else's. And whilst you're in somebody else's backyard, you you don't do that. That's just respect. Well, that that's, that's how you should behave.
1: There's different degrees of it, isn't there? Because what kala has allegedly said, there's no there's no room for interpretation with that. That no, is, you know, no. that that is just just terrible to say. And I think, you know, obviously at this point, you know. You say, you're right Dave in regards to everyone needs to do the part we can't be passing the book We're free white men talking about it on a podcast you know yeah. that that in, that in itself is, is part of the problem and obviously we all of us as well you know it's well, been we've a, also, a, we, everyone's got to sort of make strides to, to try and improve that but it's it's
2: it's a wider thing than, than just racism because all of us individually look at where all of us are from we'll have experienced prejudice against us based on where we're from and it's horrible it's uncomfortable i i've had it and you look at you'll get it mad the minute you leave this city there's not there's a scouse joke that follows you that's never ever too far from people's minds and whilst you can pass it off as a joke and 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 this is the really sad part i think about this is that there's there's people who will have experienced levels of racism similar to what we're talking about right now, who haven't can't possibly speak up because they'll they're tarnished with a certain brush that says, oh well that couldn't possibly be the case. Or like La Liga here, sort of trying to bypass it and make it into something that it's not and, and try to quash it and, and make it seem like it's it's an insignificant thing when we all know ourselves when when you when you suffer those things in life. I mean, they they they, they hurt. and and that's we're only talking about things like, oh, you know, make sure your wallet's in your back pocket. There's a scouser over there. We're talking about stuff like that, which is nowhere near the level of abhorrent abuse we've seen lately. Yet yeah, it still sticks, doesn't it? it, it you, you, it's still something that will stick in my mind that somebody's had that perception of me based on uh, going back to it, societal issues, and and how people have perceived certain sectors of communities for, for years and decades um there, there needs to be something p- people need to be willing to take account here i guess is what i'm trying to say rather than just simply say oh well that needs to be referred to somebody else that needs to be discussed by this body or that body If you see it call it out you know if you're part of a community do something about it Brushing it under the carpet trying to ask somebody else to take care of it That's never going to work because the very people you're trying to pass that on to may well do the same, and and that's why it's such a so sad to see that this is still an issue in uh, in, certainly in football. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Those those social media companies are pretty embarrassing, Andy. If you look at if you look at the response they've put out in terms of, well, do you know what? You're right, and we try to monitor these things, but there's always a caveat to it, isn't it? There's always, but you know, please note that. We see our platforms as, um, you know, we, we spread the word of freedom of speech. You can come on and say what you like and stuff like that. That perpetuates all this because people think it's okay to go on there and say what they like. And, and it's absolutely unacceptable. Yet the interpretation and maybe because they don't want to deal with it. These places and institutions are like, well, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if we investigate this thoroughly, if we slap a wrist too hard, then. You know, we're going against the, the Convention of Human Rights with the dying people of free speech. Absolute bollocks. <laughs> they, need, they need to seriously have a look at themselves yeah. and take account and responsibility. And that's the only way this works because nobody's going to give it up. No, nobody's going to... like. What Swansea are you doing? Is that admirable as it is. That's uh, ultimately come down to money. That's going to cost them money this week. Them going off social for a week, that'll damage sponsors. They'll obviously have social sponsors as every football club does. It'll cost them money. So whilst again it is admirable, I think it's brilliant what they've done in trying to make a stand, it's only gonna last so long because ultimately it's income. It's, yeah, it's- in the times that we're living in. So there's got to be a, a, a line drawn in the sand here, one that we all stick and adhere to and hopefully make things better. But like we like going back to what Alan said at the start, where'd you begin? How do you how do you begin to do it?
1: Yeah, it's a really grim situation that this sort of thing is still going on. But uh, I thought it was important to talk about before we speak about the the football side of things in La Liga this weekend, before we move on to have a chat about Everton. But there is an Everton link, Alan, to this Clásico at the weekend, obviously. Ronald Coot... Well, <laughs> Ronald Koeman <laughs> um, in the dugout for Barcelona. And I remember we were speaking earlier in the season, we were sort of poking fun at, at Ronald and saying how badly things were going. I think everyone's been using the the meme of him, looking like he's chewing a wasp after, I think it was Mbappe's third goal and that, that Champions League game at the, the Camp Nou where they lost 4-1. But um, slowly, but surely, he started to turn things around there. Now, they've won the last six in a row in the league. They're in the Copa del Rey final next weekend. They haven't lost in 19 and they're a point off top. Um, what, what's, been, what's been going on? Is, is it just that Lionel Messi just started playing a bit better?
0: Um, well, it's it's remarkable to be fair because you know, like, I mean, you know, my feelings with Ron Koeman, as I spoke about at the beginning of the season, like, I mean, I'm not as big as a fan by any means. And I'm, I feel like Everton are still suffering from his spell and charge more so than any coach in recent memory, you know, in my memory anyway. But basically, he's done a very good job. Like, I can't criticise him. He's done a very, very good job. He came in to a club in complete crisis. Messi just tried to leave. There was a real lack of leadership on the pitch. There was a lack of talents. A lot of players were dissatisfied and kind of epithetic, like he was manned for instance, looking to leave in the summer. And basically what he's done is he's come in, and because of his arrogance, and it is arrogance, be no mistake about it, it's worked in his favour because... He's an absolute legend in Barcelona. That's the first thing that I underestimated. He's absolutely adored because no matter what's happened in the intervening years, he was the man who brought them their first European Cup by scoring that goal uh, in 1992. Do you know? And he's always been remembered for that. And he's always been considered a very important player in Barcelona's history Um, because he kind of bridged the gap between uh, Cruyff and the Catalan identity on the pitch because he very much kind of was Cruyff's go-to man. He ruined with Pep Guardiola uh, when Guardiola broke into the team. And he was a person who carried a lot of weight in the dressing room and in the club in general and helping them kind of transition to that period where they were kind of a really serious unit again, um, competing with Madrid. But this season, basically, he's simplified everything. Um, Apparently, last season, Kike Setien was giving the players too much information. He's reduced that. He's made everything much more kind of clean and concise. Uh, He's made them much fitter physically. He's also switched to kind of a, you know, a three at the back system, which has paid dividends in recent months, especially. And it's really helped to get the best out of uh, Lionel Messi because it's kind of freed up uh, Usman Dembele and Messi to play together with uh, Dembele almost as kind of a false nine while also being able to incorporate, you know, Sergio Busquets, Frankie Dion and the likes of Pedri in the starting 11. Um, And what you have now basically is kind of a very strong mix of experience and youth, kind of maybe best exhibited by the fullbacks, you know, Sergio Undes in the right was Komen's man, Barton from Ajax. It was kind of a questionable signing at the time, but he's done really, really well recently, especially Jordi Alba's in the best form of his life. You, so we yeah, basically have is a very, very strong balance of a team where you have kind of a good mixture of youth and experience. Uh, everyone's playing for the crest. Everyone is in really good shape. Everyone is playing with real confidence. Everyone is playing for the coach. Um, he's also, as you mentioned, got the best out Messi. Basically, he gave Messi space in the beginning, uh, time to cool off after the move didn't happen. Time he, he let him go back to Argentina for an extended break over Christmas. And since he came back from that break, he's been flying. Do you know? And when Messi is flying, every team in the world has a chance every game. Do you know what I'm saying? Hmm. So I think yeah, basically it's kind of... Uh, why I think it is, I think certain coaches are better suited to coaching elite players than average players. I think Z- Zidane is another coach who's like that, where... They're really, really good because they aren't ideologues like, you know, Pep Guardiola, for instance, or Jurgen Klopp, even, who kind of adapt their players to his style. They take into account the players they have, like Carlo, as well, and adapt the style to the players. It just took in a bit of time to work that out. And basically, because of the clout he holds as a player, he has the respect of the senior players in the dressing room. So it's kind of a beautiful balance, really. And... They're flying in La Liga. Jamie, they're playing some really, really good football. Um, like, you know, like I mentioned, Dembele was kind of apathetically digging this season. Now he's in flying form, full of confidence, full of enthusiasm, not being injured at all. Um, and they're looking good. I mean, like I fancy them in the Copa, to be honest. I think Athletic, given the fact that they lost to La Real, they also last week as well. Their wins, their, their sales have been deflated a bit. You know, they're kind of upforming their potential under Marcelino who's doing a very good job there, but I don't think they have what it takes to stop this Barca team from winning another trophy. And in La Liga, I would say they're the favourites now because Atletico are really kind of falling off the horse a bit. Real Madrid are in really good form too, but I would think that they would prioritise the Champions League over La Liga. Yeah. Um, whereas I think Barca really want La Liga, you know? So And then, of course, also, with the, how could I forget, uh, Joan Laporta coming into the club uh, just last month has changed everything completely because... You know, he's a character with very charismatic, uh, very competence. And he just inspires complete, you know, faith in all of Barcelona's support and the, the club in general as well. So, yeah, it's kind of a weird one. I mean, I still don't think Kumin will be in charge in five years' time. I think he's a stopgap. I think, I've said it before, actually, I think he is what Frank Lampard was and what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should be. <laughs> in terms of he's a, yeah. he's a club legend right who came yeah. into the club at a time in crisis he united the team he improved them he got the fans back behind the team again but he's never going to be the man who takes him to the next level and that's still my belief even though they've done very well recently I think that Xavi it's Xavi's job you know whenever that will happen maybe after the 2022 World Cup I would say because coming will be there next season well but, that, that's um, what
2: I wanted to ask you Alan about that was yeah. the perception of him Particularly when we had the messy situation pre-Christmas and when we had the um, presidential elections and things like that, every every direction seems to be pointing towards Cumin's doing this season, and that's it, regardless of what happens. I mean, you, you spoke quite glowingly about him there, which I'm sure was quite difficult. <laughs> 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 it certainly would have been for me, anyway. Um, how 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 quickly has that changed? I mean, how quickly is that dynamic from well? Yes, we've got a couple legends in there. And, and the, the the links you make to Lampard and Solskjaer, I think, are really, really good points. How quickly did the change uh, in terms of the last few months? Obviously, gone favourites for La Liga. Um, the affection for Koeman as a manager rather than just a legend. Has
0: that changed? Have you seen that change? Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I think the, it was always giving them the benefit of the doubt, you know? Um, They always wanted him to do well. He he was never fighting at the tide like Kike Setlian was, for instance. Um, But just on the Everton link, I mean, like, I've dug into it a bit, and people close to him all admit he's never worked this hard before. Never. He actually cares about Barcelona. He didn't care about Everton. (laughs) He didn't care about Valencia. He didn't care about Fire He didn't care about any club he coached aside from Barcelona. Barcelona are his club. I remember being good at some park and seeing FCB reg on his car. (laughs) <laughs> like and he wants to do well, he cares about his legacy in Barcelona. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, yeah, I think like in fairness, in the beginning of the season there was green shoots in Europe, they were playing really, really well in times, um, but they never get this consistency to really put together a serious run. But talking about what's changed in recent months, the main thing is messy. I mean, like the three-the-back system has given them a structure where, as I said, the fullbacks are free. You've players also like Ronald Arrago, Oscar Minguez uh, coming into the team, performing really, really well. Uh, young players who were with the B team last season who were doing really, really well this season. Um, you know, and then Messi is just a game changer because Messi is just, you know, like he's the Pichichi's top scorer in La Liga with 23 goals. I think he's, don't call me on this, but I think he's got 13 in his last 16 or something like that games. Um like he's flying like and like and also he he's enjoying his football because at the beginning of the season Suarez had gone and you know he was sad because his mates were all leaving, basically. Um, but now he's likes sort of Elish Mariba, very talented young player coming through, Anzu Fatih, Frankie De Jong, Pedri, Araku, guys he can see himself playing with. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think he's enjoying his football. I would say it's more likely he's gonna stay than not. And also, this is very spurious rumors, but there's talk that in Paris, PSG's negotiations with Neymar have frozen recently because Neymar sees that Messi is going to stay at Barcelona most likely and that Neymar is thinking about going back to Barcelona. And apparently, there's been talk in recent days about the, the kind of senior pros like Messi, obviously, he was really good mates with Neymar. Also, you know, PK, these kind of senior pros who play with him, Sergio Roberto at Alba, that they actually want the management of the club to go for Neymar to try and bring him in. Maybe he's a swap deal or something. So watch that space. That could be interesting. But, um, but yeah, it's the, the club has changed completely. I a really positive vibe there. Lots of really talented young players coming through. Uh, Messi looks like he's going to stay. Like, don't quote me on that. I mean, it's, it's still possible he might leave. But I would say, if I was a betting man, I'd put money in him staying. But I, to answer your question, Dave, like in a long-winded way, the main thing is Messi. Messi is supercharged everything. And that's the character he is. When he's playing, when he's in form, when he wants to be there, when he's committed to the club, he's still a differential player in world football. There's nobody like him, in my opinion, I mean, has
2: that, that put a few people's noses out of place? Because it all seemed like this was going to be such a linear process that Koeman was babysitting effectively for Xavi to come in. Um, you, you look at what's happened now, because I, I would have even said earlier on this season, the vibe that I got from the whole situation was that even if Koeman went and won La Liga, it still might not be enough to keep him there because of this ideal of Xavi coming in and, and being sort of the person to rejuvenate Barcelona, certainly on a European scale.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the thing with Xavi is that he's very linked to Qatar. Like, I, And the whole thing has always been that he come after the 2022 World Cup. And also, Xavi was very much like to Victor Font, who was one of the presidential uh, frontrunners. He was kind of second in the running to Laporta in the end. And Font basically built his campaign on the promise that Xavi... And uh, Jordi LaPorta, sorry, Jordi uh, would come into the club together and kind of reinstall this identity. Whereas LaPorta is very much his own man. And LaPorta is a very healthy ego as well. And LaPorta doesn't like the idea of tying himself to anybody. LaPorta likes being the architect of something. Do you know what I'm saying? So I think LaPorta would be pretty happy in giving Koeman a chance to kind of, you know, see out this period, see where he can take the team, give him a transfer window because he hasn't had one really. And um, he only brought in such new death last summer, so I think he'll get a chance to win do at least, um, he'll get next season. and then I think post 22 2022 World Cup, I would expect Chavi to come in. but um but yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because like I was very negative against Kuman to be in the season. I was telling everyone, listen, you don't know what you're in for. It was funny because like <laughs> in La liga Lodo as and Paco who's from Valencia, and like we both have bad experiences with Coleman, Ko- Kumin, sorry. Yeah. and uh, Roman is from Barcelona, so we we're always saying him to him, like, "Listen, you don't know what you're in for." He's going to fuck up at some point, <laughs> and uh, he just hasn't. Now oh. I look like a bit of a fool, to be honest, like. But anyway, who
2: thought, <laughs> thought Ronald Koeman would be coming back to haunt us, even when he's not associated with the club anymore? <laughs> exactly, exactly, absolutely. But yeah, that, I don't
0: that... know how many times I've shared that graphic of uh, Cavendish playing right wing back against Stoke many times well, but uh, no one cares maybe, anymore uh, mate maybe maybe <laughs> maybe in hindsight that
1: might have been the making of Dom I and mean, we give uh, give Koeman credit for, for that for that inspired yeah. move you know might have put him on the path as being a goal scorer I was going exactly. to say do you think we'll be looking back on and thinking wow he's
2: actually a genius <laughs> yeah. watch when when Davy Klassen rocks up a bar and bags mm-hmm. 20 next season
1: yeah, he's back uh, in the uh, Holland Tom. squad scoring goals Dave you know exactly mate maybe, maybe, maybe Human was just before his time with us, wasn't he? Maybe he was hard done by after all <laughs> um, at Everton. But yeah, fascinating stuff from from. I, I never knew about that registration on his car. FCB. That that is amazing, yeah. but not surprising. Yeah. Um, but let, let's have a chat about about Everton to finish off. Uh, Brighton on Monday. Uh, I'll, I'll come to you first. Uh, I'll obviously be. You know, we don't know who's going to be back fifth. It looks as though. Uh, Alan might be able to play. Jordan Pickford is going to be our Carlos Press Conference is a little bit later on as, as we sit and record this. But um, just, just in regard to, to the team selection, how you want to see them go with this one, um, similar to Monday for you, would you say? But just, you know, go and do similar sort of things. Sit in, maybe play a little bit more on the break against Brighton, but just take your chances when they come around this time, lads.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I'm just not enthusiastic with this game at all, to be honest. Like, I mean... Monday night's game was just so soul destroying like watching it like as the chances came I was just thinking to myself like they're going to live to regret this I and mean, then sure enough they did like it's just like how many times we've we said it like every everyone do the same thing all my life doing the same thing they're never bad enough to be completely shit but they always get to a point where they can do something and then fuck it up like whether it's by their fault or someone else's fault it's always the same thing 2005, you know, 2009, 2012, 2014, always the same thing. They just get just about there and then fuck it up. And it's the same thing this season. I just think like, like I am love Carlo. I'd never criticize him because he's a legend. And I think he's changed the cup completely. I just think he needs the time and players to, to come into the club, basically to give him the chance and um, to actually build the proper team. And like the rest of the season, my biggest hope would be, that we get Europa League and finish the season in a positive vibe. I don't want us to finish the season like, you know, we've missed out in the Champions League. I want us to finish the season with strength where we're kind of looking to next season with confidence and optimism. Um, and I, I think, you know, what i like to, from this game would be Calvert-Lewin and Richardson getting in the score sheet. Uh, I think they both need goals, to be honest, for their own mental health in many ways. Mm. Um, and also, I'd, I'd like to just see a strong performance, you know, um, I don't know the fitness situation with Alan is um, how 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 far he is from returning to the first team, but um, I think he'd be a great boon to when he does come back into the team. Uh, obviously, we won't see the core for the rest of the season. Um, I'm not sure how fully fit James is because I mean him getting hooked on Monday night was kind of a, a strange one in many ways, given how tight the score was. Um, and I just don't know what his fitness is in general, but. Um, But yeah, I'm not hugely optimistic with this game. It's the kind of game that we normally fail to do well in this season. Um, Even though I know Brighton will probably take the game to us more. They won't sit in like a Newcastle would, for instance. Um, But yeah, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't. I I kind of like, like, I feel like we had the narrative last Monday night. And I know it's still there in terms of Champions League. But I just don't think we'll do it this season, to be honest. Like, you know.
1: Yeah, Dave, you were sort of shaking shaking your head in in agreement there with Alan. But I think it's um, I think it was it was funny this morning seeing Gary Neville I was asked about Everton in his Twitter QA. I don't know if you lads That's saw a, this. Tight. Sure. He said he said I'm annoyed with them. I've I've checked out on them effectively because they always get to a point, like Al said there, where they can do something and then inevitably mess it up it's like well yeah well you know we, we've been doing this for a long time Gary, come and get on board Yeah I think I found myself agreeing a lot with the Monday Night
2: Football duo to be honest because um, Carrigan, in the aftermath of the Palace game was saying that should have been a match that Everton looked forward to playing um, and I completely agree with that I think Palace are awful um, I think you know they're even more awful the fact that they're, they're pretty much safe in the Premier League standard season where Roy, Roy Hodgson will receive a load of plaudits for doing Pretty much nothing. Um, And, you know, look at the chance we missed as well. We we should have won that game comfortably. Sad thing is, and the worrying thing is for me, I feel the same about Brighton because Al's right. They should open up. They're, They're a team that don't really know how to defend in a deep block. They don't know how to put men behind the ball. They have a lot of talented players. I actually don't mind watching Brighton. They never
1: win, but I don't mind watching them. They played well at United um, last yeah. weekend, but I, th- I think I think that we I feel like we've gone into a lot of games like this away from home, thinking this is finally where our away form comes to a bad end. You know, I remember Leeds going into that thinking, do not fancy us yeah. at all. The yeah. Wolves away was quite similar, but I think what what they yeah, have been good at this season has been reacting to those poor home results by going and getting an, an unexpected win at Leeds or win at Wolves or something like that. So you just sort of hope they can sort of you know find those reserves again, really.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen them lose games quite ridiculously, to be honest, because they generally get on the front foot. They create a hell of a lot of chances. I mean, I'm no fan of XG, but um, so some of the numbers in regards to that have been mind-boggling to the point where you think, how have they not scored in this game? Have they not at least scored two goals? Um, but like I said, I think they're fun to watch. and I actually think it'll be a decent game. Um, again, it should be one Everton look forward to exploiting because they won't sit back. They'll try to play. They'll try to score past us. And it should be something that we're quite fruitful in doing the same, going the other way on the counter, where we at our pomp this season have put teams to the sword when they've played like that against us. Um, But again, they seem like a side that play so well at times, Brighton, that at some point they will put one side away quite comfortably. And I'm massively fearful that that's going to be us. Uh, just, Just, just given the way this season's going for us now, um, it it seems it seems a while for me personally that I was excited about Everton and you look at the league table and if you didn't know the results and you presented it to me back in August I'd say wow Everton have got a real chance here um, of kicking on maybe nicking fourth but at least getting in the Europa League I mean if you if you give me the Europa League the Europa League right now I'd bite your hand off um,
1: it's that, yeah it's that feeling of momentum isn't it and sort of to relate it back to our league I'm sure if you said to Atlético Madrid you're gonna be a point clear with Eight games yeah. to go, they would have been made up, but they, you know you they, they've, they've fallen off a cliff recently, so yeah. it, it, it's that sort of that sort of thing. Is there, one player they want to speak about just before we finally before we wrap up? Is um, Richard Allison obviously spoken a lot on shows this week about his profligacy and missing those chances, which is quite uncharacteristic to him. To be fair, I think he tends to be a, a pretty good finisher yeah, in the air. And, and with his feet as well. But um, one thing that happened on Monday that did get a lot of attention, I'll, I'll come to you first on on this one, Dave, was the the free kick. Um, squabble you could probably call it with Sigurdsson Dina yeah, and Hamas Rodriguez obviously took the ball and was desperate to take it um, I've got uh, some people; a lot of people pushed it off sort of painting it as a positive but I've, I've got to be honest that I really don't like to see that sort of thing it, it did me head in to be fair and, and I haven't been at that Chelsea game in December and seen him get nose to nose with Sigurdsson over not taking a penalty after Sigurdsson had already scored one in the first half um, I love the bones of the lad but I think it's just something he needs to cut out of his game completely because it does me add in, really.
2: Yeah, he, he does have a couple of those traits, doesn't he, that you, you don't really want your side. Um, I'm sure everyone was thinking the same. Kevin Morales were the two words that sprung to mind um, with Leighton Baines, that infamous penalty against West Brom that he missed and we went on to draw 0-0. Um, oh, do you know, I like to cut the lad, the lad some slack when where other people don't at times. Yeah. Um, I'm happy that he wants to take the free kick. I, I'm happy. Right, if, that, just, 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 just. If Andre Gomez had gone and done that, what would the reaction have been? No, so again, personally, I don't have an issue with players wanting to take responsibility like that. I think it's healthy. It's how they react when they're told they're not going to do it. That's the problem. And and that's what I see in, in what Richarlison did. Um, because it just creates an unnecessary set of emotions that, that shouldn't be in existence anywhere near that point in the game. Um He's not a traditional free-kick taker, is he? He's just desperate to to try and have a go at this one. And again, I I think that is a a, a personality trait that I'm happy to see. I I want him to do that. I want him to be somebody who puffs his chest out all the time and wants to take this team forward. I think if you take that away from him, you take away a lot of what Richarlison does positively in football matches. But again, it's the reaction that's unacceptable. It's when it's captain or when the, the player who's been charged with taking these free kicks or in certain set-piece situations that Evan have worked on on the training ground, if he's then broken rank to say, I'm spitting my dummy out here, I'm taking it, you're pretty shit at them and you have never scored a set-piece, notwithstanding, by the way, in Gilfie Sigurdsson's situation, um, then that that disrupts the apple cart, doesn't it? It's something I would imagine would infuriate a manager, something that they would think, why on earth are we entering a situation that's going to be... Probably quite negative and have a negative impact on this team in such a, a, an important situation. That could should actually be something we benefit from. Um, having that sort of one eighty in the middle of a game must be just you pulling your hair out if you're a manager, because it gives out the wrong message as well, doesn't it? I mean, if you're, we're all watching that game, sitting there thinking, hang on, is, is everything all right at home here with these lads? Are they all is the are they all on the same page? Um, is there an issue between? Sigurdsson and Richarlison on set pieces are the fisticuffs in training trying to address this. It just, it's just not healthy at all for the sake of a speculative, let's be honest, given our how efficient we are at set pieces, direct hitting strikes at goal. Pretty insignificant situation that he's made a mountain out of a molehill from. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't mind his intentions, but it shows a lack of discipline, I think, when he can't accept the well, no, Richie, you're not on this. This is not your job. We work on this in training. We're going to do what the manager set out. You can do without him breaking rank because, it's again, it's so unnecessary and leads to us having conversations about it, awkward conversations as fans, where you're like, you know, we've got bigger fish to fry here. We've got more important business to worry about than Richarlison standing there being the one that takes a free kick that
1: is inevitably either going to go wide or <laughs> Keeper catches. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just just a little bit petulant. I think I think for me, Alan, there should be a rule that when James is on the pitch, no one else is allowed to go near a set piece. I mean, to be honest, I'd rather I'd rather have him taking them with his right foot than anybody else at the moment.
0: Listen, I'm actually glad I can talk with this because that pissed me off like no end the <laughs> night. To be honest. Like. Like the Chelsea thing Was one thing I mean like He's a striker You can understand that he, I think he was in a Dread run at the time He needed to get a goal Because he loves goals And that's what makes Rasharas and And We've praised him for that Many times in the past Like here especially Like you know But like a free kick I would literally Have bet My I don't own a house But if I had a house <laughs> I would bet my house that he was not scoring That goal like, like he's never In a million years Scoring a free kick I've never seen him Even take a free kick before Never ever like and for me, what I was looking at, I was like, we're actually such a mild-mannered bunch, yeah. genuinely. Coleman, Seamus Coleman is the only player who is the leadership clout to do anything. But even he is almost too sound for his own good. Like, I love Seamus Coleman with all my heart. He's a legend, an Irishman as well. But he's really nice. And I know he can lose that on the pitch. But I think if you have that in your character, it alters how so people perceive you. I was thinking to myself, if Roy Keane was on that pitch, Rashardison would not even try and take that free kick. Roy Keane, some character like that who'd come over, and I know there's not many Roy Keane's out there, but he would just say, get off that. You're not on that. That's James's territory, Luka Dean's territory, Guilty's territory. You're nowhere near that. And what I don't want to happen is, I love Rashardison, as you well know. And I love that he's staying with everything. I love he kind of embraces the and all that kind of thing. But I don't want it to be a situation where it's like, you're going out with a girl who's out of your league and she knows she's out of your league and she's taking the piss. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And that's what it could be. I think him taking that free kick, him dominating the ball like that is almost saying, I I should be at Barcelona. So give me the ball. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't like that at all, to be honest. I think penalties are one thing. He's a striker. He wants goals. Free kicks are another thing altogether. And I didn't like that one bit, to be honest. Like I think it points—I don't think it points any serious problems behind the scenes. I think it's just part and parcel of football. I think it's part and parcel of Richardson's character. But I think it was the double threat of Richardson thinking he can get away with that and getting away with that, and also none of the lads being able to step in and say, "Hey, go back into the final third, there, boy. This isn't your area at all." Like, yeah, do you know what I'm saying? So I, it was infuriating for me, to be honest. It was the thing that pissed me off most about that match. <laughs> well, how old you now? Twenty-four.
1: Twenty-five.
0: Yeah, I think it's twenty-three or twenty-four. Twenty-four. I mean, the, the, the other
2: thing to say about it, I think, is that there's always been a petulance to him, hasn't there? Let's be honest. I mean, when he played for Watford, I remember when we come up against him a couple of times before he actually ended up joining us. Where it was like, this guy can do one. I, like, he's a player. If you're if you're an opposition side, you really don't want to be up against this person like that because they'll drive you nuts and you will actually end up hating them. He's the type of player you love because he does that to other sides. Um, but I do feel as if that there is a lack of maturity at times with him. And I'm not going to go into him throwing himself on the floor and stuff like that because, for me, you talk about commonplace things in football, that is part of this game. Now, sadly, the players do that to try and gain an advantage in matches. Um, many would say that there's a talent to it. But the, the, there's issues with him, I think, in certain capacities. He loves to portray this sort of brooding, miserable, I'm not quite content with life type of personality on the pitch. And I like it to a certain extent, but the way it comes to manifest itself at times, I'm like, that feels detrimental to our side. And this is one of the issues um, that I felt, why he felt the need to do that the other day. I think Alan's spot on there with that. I think he's looked at almost like, you know, when, when you're standing next to somebody inferior on a football pitch, he's sort of like looking them up and down saying you're not having this, I'm having this, I'm miles better than you. You've never scored a set piece for this football club. Whilst true, um, isn't it not in any way helpful? And um, that that's the sort of impression I get from him at times, that he does feel like he's a little bit big for his boots at Everton. And Look, he's got the perfect manager in terms of sorting that out. But it's been something that's lingered for too long, in my opinion. I, I think that there's been times with him that you think, when's this going to stop? When are you going to... Evolve, I think maybe the right word because he's a top, top class player. um, And I still don't think we've seen the best of him at all. In fact, I think he's got so much more potential to give. I'm not saying he's got an attitude problem in in, in, in any way, but there are things that I'd like to see him take a different view to.
0: I was reading an article about uh, Luka Modric recently, um, Dermot Corrigan article, and what basically he was saying was that like people close to Modric always say the same thing that he never gets too high or too low, and like he's very centered in terms of how he performs day to day. And like for instance, when he won the Ballon d'Or, like he took photos of the Ballon d'Or at Valdebebas uh, Madrid's training center, and uh, immediately after photos went into a rondo, like kind of a, you know a, the, the short-sighted kind of ball passing game, and played it like it was the first one he's ever done in his life. Like he was you know a newbie coming into Madrid uh, to fight like that. And like that mentality is obviously rare because Modric is the elite of the elites. Like he's one of the best players in the world and he still is at 35 years old. But I think the lesson is kind of the same thing. The sentiment is the same thing. And I think Rasharson has the raw ability. He has a character and the kind of tools to do it, to become mm-hmm. a really great player. But I think, as Dave said, he needs to kind of knock this immaturity in the head a bit because he is getting on a bit like... Uh, He's getting into an age now where he's not like a 21-year-old anymore. He's becoming mid-20s. And he's still at Everton as well. Like, I mean, if he was that good as he thinks he is, he'd be taken by somebody else by now. And he hasn't hit the goal-scoring figures that we need him to. And I know he hasn't found the proper position yet. He's kind of been on the wing. He's been in the center. And I know he's been sharing uh, duties at DCL a lot. But I think, you know, he should look at himself and say, I am not going to become one of the best players in the world by arguing with Giffy Sigurdsson over a free kick against Crystal Palace on a Monday evening in a dead rubber practically. He's going to become the best player in the world by banging in 25 goals a season. And that's what he should look at personally for me, I think. Like, I love his antics on social media. Winding up the Liverpool fans after the Madrid game with the picture of Vinicius is pretty funny. All that kind of thing. But I just think he needs to have his head centered at the same time. Like, I love him, but like... You, you can't do shit like that unless you're balling every fucking week. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. He's not at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, the, the thing about
2: that as well is that he, he plays a very clever game because he knows how many fans will love that. There are fans, obviously, if we're sticking it to Liverpool, the well, everyone in our fan base will like it to a certain extent, but some much, much, much more than others. So he plays a blinder like that because there will be people right now Whilst we we're having this conversation, he was saying, What are you talking about? He can't do a thing wrong because of all that stuff he does on social. And it makes that this conversation more difficult, I think, for people to hear because they won't see a bad word about anything he does with us because he's like that. He does the Everton thing, he gets the Everton fans. Um, so I, I think he's quite coy with that. I think he's quite quite savvy in how he plays that.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, just just one other thing I'll just say on this before we wrap up is. Um... I think, I think that was a difficult one for the captain on Monday. I think a lot of people were saying, where's Seamus Coleman in that situation? But I think you can look at it and say, if he'd gone over and said, stop it, does that make it into an even bigger thing then if there's a bit of a squabble? I think, I think someone of his experience maybe just thought, let's just try and just stay away from this and make it as less of a scene as I possibly can. So maybe that's a different sort of leadership in itself. Um, I don't know. But yeah, we are out of time. Yeah. That's done, ne- done nearly an hour there. Um, fascinating stuff. Cheers to Dave. Thanks very much to Alan as well. Uh, loads of great stuff on the Classico this weekend. That's at eight o'clock on Saturday night if you want to watch it in the UK. Um, and enjoy the Grand National. Enjoy the Masters. And enjoy Everton on Monday as well. Hopefully they can cap up a cap off what is a great sport and weekend just a reminder if you want to hear more from us previewing that Brighton game got a mailbag coming up as well later come and join us over on the Blue Room Extra on Patreon it's patreon.com slash the Blue Room Extra multiple editing shows every single weekday building up to and looking back at all our football matches but that's been your weekly we'll be back again on Wednesday next week and we'll speak to you then